Hi guys, how are we going everybody? Uh, just need to move the phone down for Insta. Okay, so today I want to share a bit about my story to give a bit of context into how I can help you, how I can, how, like, how I create my courses, how I get my methodologies to give you some insights into, yeah, how I can help you rapidly reduce your need for alcohol so that you can get sober and start living your best life ever. So um, I guess I kind of want to give a bit of a frame here as to how I got to this point because I know it's going to help you under, like by understanding a certain model and it'll, be, it'll help you also be able to look back on your own upbringing and see where some of these patterns have started. So in my story, I am going to weave in some really cool lessons as well. So I um, was born to a 16-year-old mum and my grandparents actually raised me because obviously at 16 years old, uh, she was quite young. And so when I grew up, like I was in a very loving household, but I grew up with four, four let's say siblings. One was my mum and that was kind of the frame that I was in. But and I always knew my mum was my mum, but I, and I also got really well looked after. Um, I think, though, because there were so many people in the family, I got a lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of attention, and so I was very spoiled. But also it created like a, a disorganised attachment because obviously as everyone grows up, they get married and they go off and they have their own families. And so as a kid, and then my grandmother passed away when I was 10, and so I was kind of being looked after by everyone. So from an adult's perspective, I was getting the best love and care. And I think from a kid's perspective, it can create quite a disorganised uh, sense of self. And so as, as I grew up, I developed this kind of disorganised attachment style. And maybe this is you, maybe this is something that you've experienced where you, you know, depending on your parents, like you might have gone through a divorce and so you're going back and forth between parents. So this disorganised attachment style is it's, it's the way we relate to other people. Now, some people grow up and they develop an avoidant attachment style. So an avoidant attachment style is someone who pulls away a lot. They they avoid. They don't they don't really get intimate with people and close to people. Um, they tend to push away and keep themselves at a distance from other people. On the other side of that is the anxious attachment style. The anxious attachment style is clingy. So they're constantly clinging on and needing things from other people because there's this feeling of deprivation. So a disorganized one is a person who has developed both. So they swing hard between the two. So there's this kind of I need love on one hand and then there's this I don't get away from me thing on the other and so they tend to push that away. And so this is a hotbed um, for addictions. Now, I'm not like there is and there's a secure attachment style as well. So there's secure attachment style, someone who grew up in a, you know, very pretty secure environment basically where mum and dad loved each other and there was never really a lot of dramas in their life, which is kind of those unicorns out there, right? Now, some of those people, yes, they can develop drug and alcohol issues. But 
people with these different attachment styles, so anxious in particular, that creates a sense of craving, a sense of need for something, right? There's this innate feeling within you that something is missing. And so while you feel like something is missing, then what happens is that you you either do it in relationships where you meet someone and then you cling on to people in relationships um, or you drugs, alcohol, food. So there's comfort eating, there's smoking, then there's developing all of these different habits. Now, again, they don't correlate 100%, all right? So you, you can be a disorganized, have a disorganized attachment style and not really engage in these. But it's important to look at that in yourself and look at how you're growing up, how your upbringing, how things have happened to you in the past or because of you or whatever reason and how that's affecting your use of alcohol and drugs and food and porn and sex and smoking and whatever else, right? So all of these addictive behaviours. And so that's how I work with people because we get to the guts of that craving, that feeling, that needing to cling on to something because that, when you unplug that, then you lose all desire for alcohol, right? And you, you lose all desire for engaging in any of these addictions because you don't, you don't need to cling on to anything anymore. But so, so that's that aspect. So that was kind of the foundation of how things were. Now, again, you know, I don't want to throw my family under the bus. I've been very lucky and I've had an amazing upbringing. But understanding this and understanding certain behaviours that I've been, that I've done in the past uh, really gave me that frame of understanding of like, yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. A lot of sense. And so, I travelled a lot. As a result of this kind of disorganised attachment style, I travelled a lot. I went from job to job to job to job, relationship to relationship to relationship. And so it's permeated throughout my life, as has the hard partying, the meth addiction, the cocaine addiction, the speed addiction, the alcohol addiction, the food addiction, the smoking addiction, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, okay? So when... Uh, back in 2007, I went and I studied my first NLP and the NLP really gave me an awesome frame for understanding again. Like it just went even deeper into understanding, okay, so I'm like this because. Now, it didn't answer all of my questions at the time, but it gave me some insight into where my locus of control was. So a locus of control is kind of, it's a location of control. So you might have a strong locus of control where you think everything's happening to you. You think that the world is conspiring against you and that you're everyone else's, it's everyone else's fault, okay? So someone with a high external locus of control blames everybody else but themselves. They lack a lot of insight into their own behaviours and how that's impacting themselves and the world at large. Someone with an internal locus of control, so an internal location of control, they understand that they're the central point. And so in this work that I do with my clients, I help them understand that they are the central point. So this external locus of control is an illusion. There is no one else responsible. Now, 
I've got to be careful when I say this, right? Things can happen from the external world internally to you, right? And then you internalize that experience. So say you were bullied um, or abused in some way, then that's happened from the outside world and affected you internally. Where you become responsible now is what you do with that experience. Do you let it eat you or do you let it grow you and empower you? And so that's really important for overcoming trauma because, again, if, you're, if you have had trauma and you're using alcohol to medicate from that trauma, then there's still that lack of sense of personal control within yourself. And this is why I am very emphatic, I guess, about with people um, uh, saying the demons or the, the addictive voice. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't help people. For some people, it does help them see that there's this addictive voice. But realising that that's them projecting that out and then mirroring it back to themselves, like when you do that, when you go, this is just me doing this to me, and I talked about this yesterday in yesterday's live stream, this is me doing this to me. Like I'm, yeah, <laughs> you know, when you kind of say that, it, it, you stop, it, it, it's got nowhere else to go because this whole talk, this whole dialogue, this addictive voice, it's circular, so it keeps going around and around because while you think it's coming from out there or somewhere else, then it's it you're not solving the problem, right? You're not you're not cutting it off. And when you when you're able to sit there and say, "This is me doing this to me," and I've sat in meditation and done this. Now, I really also with that want to differentiate between Tone. Stop scratching, buddy. Poor doggy. <laughs> There's any dog people out there that understand skin conditions? Please help me. <laughs> He's on the most perfect diet you could possibly think of. <laughs> he gets bath regularly and well looked after, but he's constantly itching since we moved up here. Anyway, I digress. So, um, so that 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 yes. Yeah, so the meditation, right? So in this meditation, you've got to be careful because. Like if you say it in a way of I'm going to beat myself up, blame myself and make myself feel like crap, then it's going to make you feel worse. So this is coming from a place. So this is when you say I'm doing this to myself, you say it in an empowered taking ownership way of like, yes, I'm, I'm doing this to myself in, in quite and be matter of fact about it. Like, yeah, I am. I'm doing this to myself. And just sit with it and be okay with it being there because there is some discomfort with this, right? Because we don't want to admit that we're responsible for our own choices and behaviour. Like it's scary to admit that sometimes. It's scary to stop, buddy. Come on, make it worse. Um, it, it's scary to do that, you know, because then it's like, well, then I've got to do something about it. And this was something that I discovered in myself was that um, if I, and, and it was just really profound, I was like, hmm, if I admit it to myself, then that means that I'm the one that has to do the work to fix it. Shit, I don't want to do that. So I'll just keep doing this thing to myself, kind of circle jerking myself with all of this talk, um, believing that it's some external entity doing this to me 
and then you know like just keep doing what I'm doing and guess what you get the worst possible results because you're not changing the dialogue you're in charge of the dialogue you you're the dialogue okay your dialogue is your dialogue you're the dialogue there is no other dialogue the other thing as well so if you ascribe mum's voice or dad's voice or brother's voice or uh, an old teacher's voice so I was finding that I was projecting this voice it was a guy and he was always snarky and mean to me, okay? And I was doing this. And then obviously once I figured this out, I was like, oh, my, I'm doing this to myself. Like this is all me doing this to me based on, I didn't even know, like it was an unknown person. Ah, oh, sorry. So that's that aspect, okay? And so when I understood this with the NLP that really helped but at the time I was still doing a lot of drugs I was still partying then so I've worked in as a tour guide in Africa and Australia and New Zealand so I've traveled the world um I house sat in Mexico and Costa Rica I've done all this different travel but another pivotal moment was my relationship breakdown about three months before I was my ex and I were due to be married uh, I found out that I couldn't have kids. Then we tried to book in for IVF just to give that a go. And then he had a psychotic episode. And so I abandoned that and then ended up spending that time with him. Unfortunately, it broke us. Like, um, you know, we weren't equipped to, to deal with so much of, of that. And I kind of pushed the baby thing aside to focus on him. So I went to Mexico and Costa Rica, travelled for two years, and then I came home. And I was 40, 40 at the time, actually. And I was bored. Like my hometown, everyone's married with kids and I didn't have that. I just got back from traveling again and I'd just been in a whole different world. And so I, I lost myself completely. Like in that time in my life, I had never hit rock bottomy rock bottom until that time. And to deal with that, I was going out, I was partying, like I had I have friends that, you know, they love to drink and go to the pub and whatnot, and I was doing that a lot. But I was secretly hating myself, like I hated myself because I didn't want to be where I was. Not so much in my hometown, that was fine, but more so in my own head, in my own life. Like I just, it was like I had nothing else to live for, and so I was thinking about ending it. And even plotting it, I knew exactly how I was going to do it and where. And that was a really dark time, but I kept a strong front. Like no one really, even my parents, really knew, maybe they did, I don't know, what was going on um, because I kept a very strong front. But I needed help at the time. Like I really, really needed to go and see someone myself to get that help. But instead I soldiered on through and I did the work. So I really... I, you know, started doing emotional freedom technique and like I was back using my old NLP stuff and um, I studied energy healing and I studied counselling. And so I was doing all these different courses mainly to help myself but then also because I really wanted to help people. Like I was already coaching in that time but I wasn't at the time, like and I'd been, I've been coaching for 13 years, nearly 14 years, right? Um and so I wanted to learn for and get myself better so that I can help other people do it as well because you, you can't, 
you can't help someone when your tank's empty as well. And so I knew I had to just haul my ass out of that state, out of that place before I could help anybody else, which meant, you know, like I knew the booze had to go. The booze absolutely 100% had to go because how can I help other people in their lives when I didn't have my own shit together? And so that's that's how that kind of came about. Like by that time I'd quit the drugs and whatnot and I remember I tried cocaine sober for the first time ever and it did nothing for me. So that was the end of that, right? So all the drugs, all the alcohol all went. And I guess the message in this is to know that you will get there, okay? And for some people it might be hard, like it might be this really hard obstacle in your head. But having all of that experience, all the books I've read, all the courses I've done, the life experience, being able to knock down every bloody addiction that I've had (laughs) to date, (laughs) except for tea, of course, and my green bowls, but being able to knock each addiction down and study my way through that has really helped me and it really enables me to help you get your life together in the easiest way. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to do 20 million different things. It's just understanding that this need, this crave is what is driving you more than anything else. And so that's the work I do. I go, right, I don't, I don't fluff around with all this other crap. Let's just get to the point. Let's get this craving feeling out of your mind, out of your body. And then you don't, you don't drink. You just don't. Like I'm going to a 50th this weekend with all of my friends who haven't seen for years. We used to party like all weekend. We didn't sleep all weekend in the old Sydney days, you know. And there was just that one little moment of like this is going to be interesting. But then I went, why? What, because I believe that I'm weak? No, not at all. Like it's, it's, you don't, don't go in that direction because you don't do that anymore. And so that's the dialogue I've created in myself of like, you don't, don't, you don't need to go there. Like what is there? There is no there. It's not an option. You've cut it off as an option. So why are you suddenly letting this little thing sneak in? And so I was able to curb that and then go, right, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to get some non-alcoholic wine um, and have a blast. Like it's going to be awesome. And I can't friggin' wait. So I guess that's kind of it Um, if you would like to work with me. If you're ready to get sober, I have this 50% off special up until the 20th of December, okay? After that, it's doubling, so you want to grab it before Christmas. This is my Christmas special. And so what I do with you, over six weeks, you get one-on-one sessions. You get access to my alcohol-free in 30 days challenge. Um, I have one client yesterday who sent me a message and he was just blown away by one day, one module or one one lesson in the 30 days, day eight, in fact. Uh, he's been doing AA for a year. I don't want to shit on AA, but he's been doing that for a year and he'd been struggling in it. And so something really resonated in him and that is why, because I just get to the guts of it. Like my goal with clients is to never need me again. Obviously, I'd love you to come on my retreats and, and do my other courses, but ultimately... Your need for alcohol, it, 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 just get rid of it. Let's just get rid of it. Let's be done with it. And I've got the right tools. I've spent many years, 14 years longer actually studying 
what I learn, what I know, and also all of that life experience, my ability to work with other people. I've worked with thousands of people and I can help you get sober in the easiest way. It's just six weeks out of your life. Now, if money feels like a bit of an objection, a bit of an obstacle, so the six weeks, it's 595, 595 Aussie dollars, um, or it's 298 in two payments. So you can make installments. So if you are ready for me to help you do that, then send me a message. We can organize a conversation. You also get a 30-minute consultation with that, no obligation, and we can have a chat about what you where you're at what you're struggling with, what your goals are, and then I will give you the bridge to get you there. So that's it for today. And I will talk to you guys very soon. Have a good one.